Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk. It's the Blue Gold Report. Well, hello again, everybody. And it's the Blue Gold Report podcast that we've been waiting for on the eve of Michigan coming to town the week of one of the 2018 season. I'm Mike Rags, going to bring in Todd Burlage here in a second. The Blue Gold Report, as always, brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Hey, if you found us, make sure you rate us and you give us a review and tell all your friends about it. We're here every Friday to break down Notre Dame sports, but of course, course we're going to go into high Notre Dame football mode now as we get ready for week one against Michigan Saturday night and on the eve of that we all got dealt bad news uh, with the losing one of their important seniors on the team uh, as uh, Sean Crawford goes down for the season we'll talk about that we'll talk about this Michigan matchup and what it means uh, to not only uh, this season but what it means all time as well and we'll do you know the usual breakdown stuff focus a little bit on on, uh, on Shea Patterson too. Uh, we'll talk about that, and we'll give our predictions. Uh, we'll 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 try to figure out what's going to happen with the quarterbacks. Although I don't think we'll really know until tomorrow. But let's bring him in right now with our good buddy Todd Burlage, uh, senior writer for Blue Gold Illustrated, all things Notre Dame. We finally made it, uh, Todd. We got through the off season, and we are here for Week One. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Yeah, really excited. It'll be a lot of fun, Rags. All right, Todd, we start every show off with some blue gold nuggets. What do you got for us? All right, got a little hoops here we'll start with. This was courtesy of Irish Illustrated. I thought it was kind of interesting. CBS has a, uh, what they're doing is a, it's called the Sports Candid Coaches. It's a polling series where they're interviewing coaches, surveying them, whatever the case may be, keeping it all secret so the coaches can be as honest as they want to be. It's, it's more than 100 coaches they're questioning here. So one of the questions that was posed to them last week was, who is the most underrated college basketball coach in your opinion? And Mike Bray received 5.7% of the votes, which put him fourth overall in the country and first, um, first among tying, tying for first among any of the Power Five conference coaches. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He tied Clemson coach Brad Bromwell, uh, again, Clemson coach there, and Cincinnati's Mick Cronin with the 5.7% vote. Um, other notables, I, I guess I should give you the top dog here Davidson's Bob McKillop. He received 10.5% of the vote, so he was number one on the list. Providence, Ed Cooley was second, and Belmont's Rick Bird was third. A few other notables, West Virginia, Bob Huggins, Kansas State, Bruce Weber, they each received 3.8% of the vote. Uh, Michigan's John Beeline, Oklahoma's Lon Kruger, and Purdue's Matt Painter, they got 2.9% of the vote as well, so they were kind of right, ranked up there in that top 15 range. Sticking with hoops here, the University of Notre Dame released its non-conference schedule for 18-19 here. They'll play 10 home games, which is the most since 2014-15. Um, that's before the Atlantic Coast Conference play begins after the first of the year. Uh, they, they're going to host that tournament thing. I don't even remember what the heck it's called. It's an in-season tournament. Um, Illinois, Chicago, Radford, Duquesne, William & Mary make up the field for that Gotham Classic. That's what it's called. Um, they will host DePaul in Illinois at Purcell Pavilion. Then they have a tough road game swing here, Rags. Uh, it's in December. Oklahoma in the Jimmy V Classic. Uh, that's December 4th. They go all the way out to UCLA and play at UCLA. That's December 8th. Then they play at Purdue, or I'm sorry, against Purdue as part of the Crossroads Classic. That's on December 15th. Um, so a few dates to watch there. The ACC, they're still compiling that, but we do know a little something about it when you're talking about the conference schedule. Uh, the Irish will face Georgia Tech, Boston College, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. Those will be the home-and-home home opponents 
They'll host, play at home, Clemson, Duke, North Carolina State, Syracuse, and Wake Forest. And they'll play on the road at Florida State, at Louisville, at Miami, Florida, at North Carolina, and at Pittsburgh. So let's switch over to football here. Kind of a funny thing that happened this week. Uh, Mayor Buttigieg, he went out and he renamed Michigan Street. He renamed it for this week. Fighting Irish Drive. Um, he, he just didn't. He wasn't comfortable having Michigan Street uh, called Michigan Street during a Michigan weekend. So he thought that was kind of funny. They're going to have a lot of events going on downtown. They're going to redo the uh, river lights and some of the statue lights and whatnot. You're going to see a lot of green. A lot of green will be here this weekend, starting tonight, I'm sure, and running into tomorrow. The weather looks good out there. Rags about 80 degrees. A little bit of an increasing chance for thunderstorms as we go through but doesn't look like anything too major so the weather should hold up just fine and those are your blue gold nuggets uh will we see green jerseys that's the question of the day uh-huh. brian kelly is keeping it close to the vest but uh he's indicated uh that he doesn't believe so so i guess uh, we'll have to wait and see but uh, uh, it would be kind of cool i think if you're going to make all your fans wear green you should wear green and some people were worried about them jinxing the game a little bit by changing that street name. But we'll, we'll, you know, I don't believe in jinxes. As we get ready for number 14, Michigan, the Wolverines coming to town. Todd, the biggest news of the week, though, and probably the most hard-hitting, is this poor kid, Sean Crawford, can't yeah. get out of his own way. This is his third season-ending injury as he tears his ACL in one-on-one drills. And usually when it happens, when it's non-contact, that's when it's the worst. And it's the worst news of all, huh? Third time in four years for him that his season's been cut way short or, or hasn't even started for him. Yeah, really a shame. You, know, you make it all the way through camp. You make it all the way through the summer drills, spring ball, the whole works. And basically on your last contact practice uh, of the entire off season, uh, you get hurt. Yeah, you have to feel really bad for him. Frankly, from a team standpoint, he's one of their most versatile players, too. I guess, yeah, he, he's now he's tore the ACL in both knees, yep. and he had an Achilles injury as well, so three times in the last four years. But... Certainly, he is one of the most versatile players in the year. Uh, he, he was gonna, he was kind of pegged as this nickel, uh, and was really doing a good job in the in the off season here through training camp as the nickel back, which we all know is it's a fifth defensive back. He played during certain passing downs, but he's really versatile enough to play some cornerback, safety, maybe even rover if they needed him. He was really turning himself into an every down kind of guy, and now they're really going to have to scramble a little bit um, because he's going to be out. Um, he was going to be the first corner to rotate in when they needed Julian Love or Troy Pride to get a break. So that that was going to be another part of his role in addition to that nickel. Uh, Nick Coleman, he's a senior and freshman Houston Griffith. They'll now split that nickel role to kind of look to find a true starter there. Probably Coleman, since he's the veteran, he'll probably be the first option to start. Both of those guys are converted cornerbacks. Coleman was going to be a starting safety, probably next to Alohi Gilman. That will mean probably Griffith will be the safety, starting safety. Again, mm-hmm. Gilman. And then you have Jalen Elliott still in there. Um, but all in all, it's just it's just a shame. They're really going to have to scramble in that defensive backfield. And Reichs, I think cornerback probably is the deepest position group on the team. Safety has probably been the most improved group on the team. So you do have a little bit of depth there. But certainly when you take out a moving part, uh, like you're doing with Crawford, that is a real hit for these guys. Yeah, and last year he had 32 tackles. He did have two picks, uh, two fumble recoveries as well. So he's just starting to become that productive player they were hoping yeah. he would mm-hmm. be. And now it, it all goes by the wayside. And uh, you know what? You know what was Brian Kelly's reaction? I guess we're going to hear this overall. I, you know, when they seem deep in this position, so maybe not hitting panic buttons. But when you're starting a freshman, that can't be yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the bottom line here, Rags. You know, you're not sure, but I think when we pop this clip in, you're going to hear the, the I don't know, sort of the 
the emotion in Brian Kelly's uh, voice for what's happening to Crawford. Very disappointing. We were in uh, one-on-one drills and um, got caught up with the receiver and um, sick about it. But uh, he tore his ACL and he'll uh, he'll be lost for the season. Well, as you can imagine, very disappointed. Um, you know, this is uh, right knee, left knee, Achilles. You know, you just it's you just your heart's broken for a kid that uh, has worked so hard to get on the field and and uh, has been set back by injury and. Um, you know, it's just it's difficult for him, but he's handling it as best he can, uh, given the circumstances. Yeah. yeah, Nick Coleman will move into that position that uh, he was playing in our light package. Um, Houston Griffin will play there as well, so we'll use two players to um, uh, take take up the slack uh, at that particular position. Yeah, it's just sad, and you can hear the sadness in yeah, his really. voice there too, because it's more about the person than it is the team at that point in time. Reminding you know, mind you, you know when Bonzi goes down, stuff like that. He's just, this is their last year. This is the one. This is you know he's in line to do good things, and boom, it's all over. So Todd, we're gonna have to regroup here though somehow, some way. Yeah, again, you hate, it happens on the last contact practice, and it seems like this is. This happens to Brian Kelly quite a bit too, where he moves through camp and everything else injury free, but then something on the very at the very last minute gets him. I don't know. Maybe you should start taking this week off or something. I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, uh, that, that, that's definitely should be an option no matter what. Well, uh, all eyes on Saturday now, Todd, and it's of course every eye will be there on College Game Day as well. ESPN coming to town. It all started at Notre Dame as well. Now they'll be here to kick off the 2018 season, which kind of got kicked off last night with Purdue losing uh, to Northwestern. Michigan comes in, speaking of the Big Ten, uh, and it, um, all I hear about is their defense now, Todd. Their defense, defense, yeah. defense, and some people saying, uh, get ready for another nationally acclaimed Michigan defense. Is this something we should be really worried about? Oh, no doubt about it, yeah. It's a defensive uh, unit first, similar to Notre Dame. I think it's two of the best defenses in the country, to be honest with you. And we've been kind of counting down the opponents, and I pick, picked Michigan as the toughest one. Um, counting down from 12, we had Ball State as number 12, Vanderbilt as number 11. Syracuse at 10, Navy at 9, and again, I can't read because I didn't bring my glasses again. <laughs> uh, there's an 8 in there somewhere. Pittsburgh at 8, Northwestern at 7, 6 is uh, six is Northwestern, 7 was Wake Forest. But I don't even know why I try this every week, Rags. It's, it's an I get enjoyment out of it because I can <laughs> sense your blindness and lack of being able to write. Yeah, exactly. It's a bad a combination. It is a really bad combination. Stanford 5, Virginia Tech 4, Florida State 3, USC 2, and then Michigan I have as number 1. And uh, this is a heck of a series here, but you know, we'll, we'll get to the defense a little bit on just how powerful they are. Um, series, Michigan leads it 24-17-1. to now, It's interesting because we feel like Michigan and Notre Dame has played so many times, know, but there's been a lot, a lot of breaks in this series. When I saw that 24-17-1, 42 games, it seemed like, wow, that's really not that many games. Last meeting, September 6th of 2014, you'll remember, Notre Dame recorded its largest margin of victory in the series, a 31-0 whitewash of the Wolverines. What was interesting about that is it ended the Wolverines' NCAA record of 365 straight games, consecutive games, without getting shut out. Uh, Before the Notre Dame one, they hadn't been shut out since a 26-0 whitewashing by Iowa all the way back in 1984. Um, so some some big doings there, and probably maybe a little reminder from Jim Harbaugh to his troops. That game, Michigan really killed themselves. Uh, 
Notre Dame only had 54 yards rushing and 280 total yards, so not many yards there. But Michigan had four turnovers, all of which came in the second half. The Irish had none. And if you again, if you remember, this was Brian Gordon, uh, Brian Van Gorder's. It was only his second game as Notre Dame coach, and he was going to be he was the Messiah coach. Now, well, you know how all that went. Michigan a little bit up and down last year. Eight and five was the final record. A little bit to be expected. They were coming off a nice ten and three season in 2016, but they only had six starters total coming back. So it was supposed to be a bit of a rebuilding year, and it did play out that way. Um, in uh, with the eight and five record, uh, they started four and zero. They did have a win in that four and zero stretch against number seventeen Florida. But then they lost to Michigan State, a team that Jim Harbaugh has only beaten once in three tries. He's 0-3 against Ohio State. That's kind of a, that's really bothering the folks up there in Ann Arbor. After that Michigan State loss, they went four and five. Um, that was an overtime. That that the one of the four was that they had to go to overtime to beat Indiana. Um and then they got crushed by Penn State on the road, 42-13. The season ended with three consecutive losses, Rags, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and South Carolina in the Outback Bowl. So Michigan comes in on a three-game losing streak, which is uh, interesting there as well because you, the folks in Ann Arbor aren't really, you know, this is we're going to get into a little bit of this, but big game for Brian Kelly because he doesn't win these kind of games against rivals, and Jim Harbaugh's on a three-game losing streak. So the losing coach here is going to feel the heat a little bit. All that said, eight and five, three-game losing streak. The folks in the media are so excited about Michigan's defense. Athlon ranked him number five in the preseason. Street and Smith had him number nine, and ESPN had him number ten. So three top ten uh, polls there for Michigan, to, despite some struggles. And it's defensive coordinator Don Brown. His yep. team, his unit last year, finished number three nationally in total defense, number thirteen in scoring defense, only less, giving up less than twenty yard. The unit is headlined by Rashawn Gary. This dude is the real deal. Ian Leichenberg's going to get his hands full here on the left side of that line, offensive line that is. Uh, David Long and Lavert Hall, those guys are the best cornerbacks perhaps in the business. I think, again, when you look at Notre Dame uh, with pride and love, I think they're about the only ones that can rival this cornerback tandem. So it's going to be a, a very much a defensive game. We want to get to Shea Patterson. This yeah. could be the yep. difference because Mi- Michigan's offense really kind of, they weren't very good last year, Rags, at all, mainly because of quarterback play. They get tr- the transfer from Ole Miss. He's cleared to play immediately, which was a little bit strange and a little bit surprising. Uh, but Shea Patterson's going to be the man, and, and I think he can get the job done for Michigan this season. Well, that's the thing now. And you talk about the the shaky ground these coaches could be on, and the whole thing with Jim Harbaugh is everybody's like, wait till he gets a quarterback, wait till he gets a quarterback, and then you're going to see. I think this is it now. If Shea Patterson yeah. doesn't work out for Jimbo, the rumblings about going back to the NFL or going to another school could start building up if this is not a successful season. He's basically running out of reasons to say, just wait. Yeah, you're exactly right. Fourth season here, and again, he only has one win combined between Michigan State and Ohio State, and that doesn't rest very well. No. It's it's always kind of interesting when you have a former quarterback, and you see it happen sometimes, who turns coach, and then his team is built around defense, and he can't find a quarterback. (laughs) It's always been kind of interesting to me. That said, man, the media loves him. Vegas loves loves this team. Uh, Michigan opened as a three-point favorite in this game, even though on the road, Three-game losing streak, 8-5 and five last year against a top-15 team. Now, that's flipped a little bit. Last time I checked, Notre Dame was about a one, one-and-a-half-point favorite now. But I guess 
it just kind of goes to show you how close everybody thinks this game is going to be. Well, both players are at a crossroad, the, the quarterback and the coach, and let's see if they meet at the right place and take them to the promised land for the uh, amazing goal there. Let's hope not for us here. Uh, but, what, I mean, is there anything else we need to know about Shea Patterson? What is, uh, you know, what, what do we game plan? What do we know about this kid? That, that's, that's I think, what there is, Rags, to talk about a little bit is how do you game plan? Because you, you, he's never played for Michigan. So you, do, you, do you game plan on what Harbaugh likes to do offensively? Do you watch old Miss tape? Actually, Brian Kelly was asked this, and he kind of gives a breakdown about how he's going to attack, trying to attack Shea Patterson. And interestingly, BK actually uh, recruited this cat for a little bit. So here he is. Yeah, I mean, I think any good coach, and Jim's a really good coach, um, it's, it's really about player uh, over plays. And so his offense uh, is, is always going to be about the player. And so you're, you're going to look at what Shea is, is really good at. And he throws the ball well. He's a scrambler. Um, so, you know, the offense is going to reflect that. I don't expect to see him in direct snap with, you know, two tight ends and a wing or ten guys behind him. Um, so, again, I think, I think when you think of the player, you think about the scheme that would best fit him, and, and you go to work on that. I think what, what appealed to me, I think, early on was um, he, he played fast. Um, you know, I, th- I think um, certainly the way he threw the football, very, very strong arm. I got a chance to see him. Um, and... Uh, he just impressed me with his ability to make plays. He was a playmaker. That goes back to my original question. Are you going to game plan uh, what Jim Harbaugh usually does or what the kid usually does? And it sounds like he's leaning Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, he, he understands the talents that Patterson has, but it, it sounds like, in, in Brian Kelly's theory anyways, that they're not going to change the offense around even though they have a, a, a more equipped quarterback. So that's what it sounds like to me also, Rags. All right, Todd, let's let's get into a little bit the the history here. Like you noted earlier in the show, it seems like they play all the time every year, and this is the biggest rivalry ever. But in reality, it's really not how that works out, although it's been ultra-competitive. Yeah, it really has. And I did a story for the Elkhart Truth on this this week. And uh, between the ferociousness of the rivalry and the competitiveness, it might be the best in the country is what I came away with. And let me give you a little bit of a rundown of what I'm talking about. The series dates all the way back to 1887. But it really didn't heat up until it was resurrected in 1978. That was after 35 years. Uh, they took 35 years off. Uh, in that 78 game, both Schembechler's Wolverines took down Notre Dame, uh, Dan Devine's team, which kept Notre Dame from perhaps repeating as champions because they, uh, Notre Dame won the title in 77. So there's been 31 meetings since then. Both teams have won 15 times with one tie sandwiched in there. That was 1992. So at least temporarily, uh, that tie, that 15-15 tie, will be busted up a little bit. But here's where it gets interesting, okay? It really sets the tone. This game, when Notre Dame plays Michigan, this game really sets the tone for the season for the Irish, win or lose. Okay, so the last 10 times Notre Dame has beaten Michigan in a season, this is since 78, seven times, seven of the 10, it finished in the top 25 of the final AP poll, including five stops in the top 10, and won 1988 at number one. In those 10 years, Notre Dame has put together a combined record of 93 and 32. That's a 74% winning percentage. 
um, when they beat Michigan. Now, on the flip side of that, in the last 10 seasons, it had fallen. It has been beaten by the Wolverines. Notre Dame is only 67-57-1 in those years. That's only a 54% winning percentage. And only twice in those 10 seasons did it finish in the AP Top 25. Uh, the best they ever did in that is 17. So it just goes to show you, Brian Kelly's trying to avoid in this one becoming the first Notre Dame coach ever to lose three season openers. He was beaten by South Florida in 2011 and Texas in 2016. No other Irish coach has ever lost three season openers. Check this out. In those 31 games since 78, 20, 20 of them weren't decided until the very last possession of the game. And 21 of them were decided by only one score. Only four of Notre Dame's 15 wins have been by more than one score, 87, 98, 08, and 14. From 1988 to 90, the Irish won three straight in this series by a combined 11 points, 19, 17, 24, 19, and 28, 24. So three straight wins by a combined 11 points. Okay, so Michigan answers in 2009 through 2011 with three straight wins of their own, all four-point wins, all four of those coming on the very, basically the very last play of the game. You know, And you're going to remember a couple of these here. The winning touchdowns in those four four-point wins came with 11 seconds, 27 seconds, and two seconds remaining in the game. So again, it just goes to show you how close this series is. I don't expect anything different. Saturday night. Denard Robinson, that's all I'll say. Yeah, 2011. Indeed, indeed. I, I find it interesting to go back to 1887 and the first time they played Michigan came to town November 22nd that year and had to teach South Bend the game first then they scrimmaged a little bit and then they played in some sort of muck and snow and Michigan won 8 to nothing. Go back and read the history on that game. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, South Bend didn't even really have a team. Uh, Michigan came in. They were supposed to play on Thanksgiving Day. They came in to play South South Bend stopped in Niles, Michigan, and it's just a fascinating story. Go back and take a look at it. But that was in 1887, and if my math uh, does not escape me, that's 131 years ago there, Todd. So uh, Yeah. <laughs> Fielding Yotes, yeah, I can't remember the coach's name at the time, though, but Notre Dame ended up beating them in about the, I want to say maybe the sixth or seventh or eighth meeting, and the Michigan coach got so so mad about it. <laughs> They accused him of cheating. He accused him of all kinds of stuff, and he canceled the series. And that was that's that's why when the series takes a break, there's always been a lot of bad blood when it happens. I mean, just going back to when Zwarbeck uh, slipped Brennan the note on the field and saying, "All right, you gave us an out to get out of this series. Well, I'm taking advantage of it right now. Here's your note." So yeah, it seems like whenever the series does take a hiatus, there's always a lot of bad blood involved, going all the way back to the 1800s. Fielding Yost was the guy's name. Uh, ah, yeah, f- you're close. Uh, uh, so, all right, let's turn our attention to our quarterbacks here, because you know we're obsessed with doing things like this, uh, Todd. Uh, do we have one? Do we have two going into this game? We won't know, and honestly, we won't know until about third or fourth quarter tomorrow what the deal is, and I don't yeah. think BK's leaning any other way away from that, right? I mean, and you got a tough defense here, too, so you want as much ambiguity going into it for Jim Harbaugh to begin with. So um, we're still not left with any clarity. We do know one thing. Wimbush has got to be on top of his game and really, you know, start start A, having fun, but start B, uh, putting up some yards. It's interesting. I thought the more one of the more telling clips this week came when, when we were talking about Wimbush and the whole quarterback situation, Ian Book, etc., Brian Kelly absolutely said Brandon Wimbush is going to be my starter. There's no doubt about that. And I think as he, you know, he was basically trying to clarify because we all took it and ran when he said he was going to have two quarterbacks, Ian Book, and blah blah blah. And I don't think Brian Kelly quite appreciated the way that went down, 
even though he created it himself. But one thing Brian Kelly said, and the clip will explain it better than I can, is one thing he didn't like about Wimbush last year was kind of looking. He he got his mind was too busy. He wants him to just go out and play, you know. And but yet you have to find a balance between making plays and not making mistakes. And here's how Brian Kelly explained it: We can't have a fear of failure at that position. Um, we're going to make mistakes. We have to understand the difference between. You know, letting our guys make plays and be who they are versus being paralyzed with fear of failure. And um, Brandon falls under that category. At times, he, he got himself in a place where he didn't want to fail. Uh, the quarterback position can't be that. You have to be uh, a guy that is um, out there making plays. Now, within the scope of the offense, we're not drawing it up in the sand, but um, he's a playmaker. And he's got to go out there with the confidence to make plays. And he's going to make some mistakes. But as, as long as he understands that within the scope of the offense, making good decisions, he's a smart kid, he cares. Um, but it can't be, you know, that we're handcuffing him that, you know, um, he can't go out there and make plays. This is much more about calling the offense uh, for who Brandon Wimbush is than who we want him to be uh, more than anything else. And that's what you'll see Saturday night. All right, my two cents here, Todd, and you're probably going to know where I'm going to go here. If you want him to play carefree and be able to make mistakes, don't throw out there in the press that you might be bringing in a relief quarterback third or fourth quarter into the game. You know, this is part of the problem. You want to take the, the chains off this guy. You want him to make these mistakes, but at the same time you tell him, well, if he's not all the way there, we might bring in Book off the bench. I mean, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, fair enough, Rags, and I, and I agree with you. And, and Brian Kelly kept insisting that Brandon Wimbush doesn't care about that. Brandon Wimbush just wants to win, and, and if Ian Book has to come in to help us win, it's not going to bother Brandon Wimbush very much. I find that hard to believe with any college player. I really do. I think exactly what you're saying. If you're going to say Brandon Wimbush is our man, we're willing to put up with some growing pains, some mistakes as a second-year starter, but then you say, but, you know, Ian Book's out there. We think we can win with him, too. Certainly, he, there's no way Wimbish can't be looking over his shoulder a little bit. No doubt about it. All right, Todd, we're almost out of time here, but we, we do have time to make some predictions. And a couple things I think maybe we'll have to be able to do this week. Let's give our overall sense of give me the 12, the record going to be after 12 games, and then we'll predict uh, Saturday's game with Michigan. So most people that are listening to the podcast leading up to the game tomorrow night at 7.30, remember we record this podcast on Fridays. So Todd, you looked at the schedule. You obviously went in depth with all 12 uh, opponents as we counted down or counted up, depending on how you want to look at it. At the end of the regular season, what will BK and the Fighting Irish be? I have them at 10-2, Rags. Um, I, I actually have them beating Michigan in another close one. 21-17 is my prediction on that. I guess I kind of spoiled that fun, but we can get into that a little bit more. Ball State should be a cakewalk. Vanderbilt should be a cakewalk. At Wake Forest is a little tricky. This is a team that won, had eight wins and a bowl victory. That, haven't had, that had not happened in a long time at Wake Forest. Stanford, another tough tussle here. Uh, but you remember Notre Dame gave up three touchdowns in three minutes in the fourth quarter last year and only lost by four points. I think Notre Dame gets their revenge in that game. My first loss of the season I have coming at Virginia Tech, just one of the toughest places to play in all of college football. I think by the time both teams are kind of halfway through their season, I think that's going to be a trip-up game for Notre Dame. Home against Pittsburgh, I don't see any problems, problems there. 
Navy in San Diego. A little bit tricky just because it's Navy and it's in San Diego. Uh, but I think Notre Dame survives there. Uh, Northwestern is another tricky one, in my opinion. Uh, actually, the Wildcats have won two straight in the series against Notre Dame. Interestingly, Northwestern comes into this game on an eight-game winning streak, which is the longest among Power 5 schools. I don't think a lot of people would know that. I think Notre Dame gets by Florida State because it's a, it's a November game here in South Bend. I think Notre Dame survives that one. Certainly they should beat Syracuse at Yankee Stadium. And then I have the second loss of the season, which would be a devastating one, the last game of the season at USC. So I think Notre Dame finishes 10-2. and That will get them a nice bowl, probably a, a big six bowl game. But I have them getting beat by Virginia Tech and USC. Now, if yours plays outright, they might have potential playoff talk in that USC game. Maybe, depending on how the other teams do, sure. obviously. I got them losing three games right in the middle. Bing, bang, boom. Uh, the mm. Wake Forest, the Stanford, and the Virginia Tech. And then I have a quarterback change there. Ian Book comes in and gets them through the rest of the season. And they will win that USC game on the road. Now, let's pick... Tomorrow's game, uh, Michigan's defense uh, coming into town. I I like this team though. Notre Dame going into this game, they're home. They're home. They've got all season the game plan against this defense as well. Um, the 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 injury yesterday, uh, un, you know, not to mention they're still going to be solid on defense. Uh, like you said, just as good as Michigan's. I like them winning this game twenty four seventeen. Yeah, I, and and I think it's going to be a little bit closer than that. I do have the seventeen with Michigan. I have Notre Dame at twenty one. I do agree with you. I think home field advantage makes the difference. I know Michigan will bring a lot of fans. We, we, we know that's going to be the case. But I just think the environment and everything that's going to go into this gets Notre Dame over the top. I, I think Brandon Wimbush is going to be a little sketchy. I don't think they're going to put a lot on him, to be honest with you. I don't think they're going to want him to make big plays. I think they're going to rely on the defense, similar to what they did in 2012. Don't make mistakes, Brandon. Manage the game. Let the defense do its thing. I think the running game for Notre Dame is going to be better than we expect it to be, and that's why I like the Irish 21-17. And it's going to be a huge win for one coach or the other. You know, Like I said, the folks are getting a little bit restless up there in Ann Arbor. Certainly an opening game loss here at Notre Dame and with all the hype and everything going into the season would be pretty devastating to Brian Kelly as well. Uh, it should be a lot of fun, no doubt about it. Todd, uh, we got one in the books the first week of the season. We'll do it all over again next week. All right, looking forward to it, Rex. Thanks, man. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.